to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now I want to talk today about something which is pretty fundamental really, uh, but we notice in our world uh, more and more so, and uh, it's I guess we're becoming more materialistic and more indulging in the flesh and so God gets uh, pushed aside. In many cases, God is not relevant at all in people's lives and church becomes irrelevant too as far as they're concerned. And many people question even the concept of church and uh, its meaning and its significance and what application it may have in their life. And, and they see all sorts of uh, church things uh, which trouble them and they see people who say they go to church and they, they see church leaders and uh, there seems to be contradictions and, uh, and in their minds a lot of hypocrisy. So we're sort of wondering in this day and age about God, about spiritual things because we, we indulge the flesh so much. And we wonder about the influence, we've, uh, we've heard that in the talk before, the influence of church or the impact it might have and so on. So there's a lot of sort of questions being asked about the whole process, uh, the, the meaningful nature of church and how God fits into all of that. What's the, the real meaning of it and what's the merit of it or what's the, the value of it, of course. Now, uh, there's a few things that church is not about. It's not about bricks and mortar. We may call a building a church, but that's not what church is really about, of course. The real church of the Bible is not about architecture. It's not about stained glass windows. They may have some sort of a uh, nicety about them as you see them and uh, appreciate perhaps the, the talent of people or, or whatever. The church is not about uh, those sort of things. It's not about religion. It's not about ceremony and rituals and uh, various things that we might put on uh, to somehow or other display a degree of piety or holiness or righteousness or, or godliness. It's not about particular music and, uh, and uh, looking solemn and wearing special clothing and so on. It's not about that. That's not what the Bible talks about. It's not about just socialising. There are many groups, of course, that do a lot of good things, we could argue, and they uh, get involved in soup lines and uh, distributions and support groups and sporting groups and all those sort of things, and we might value some of those things, but that's not what the church is about. The church may, from time to time, be involved in some aspects, but the fundamentals, the characteristics, the principles of the church are not about or focused on those particular things. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it does tell us here the, the initiation in the church. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and in verse 12, it says this, For as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. So the church is likened unto the body of Christ, and those two are one. In fact, in Colossians it says, and he is the head of the body, comma, the church. So it's identified, the body of Christ is the church. But it says at the end of there, as you read on in verse 13, for by one spirit are we all baptised, initiated into, immersed into the church, the one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles or this nationality or, or that one, whether we're born here, born there, whether we bond or free, we have all, and the word all is being emphasised here, made to drink into one spirit. So you don't join a church by signing up a book or getting a register of some sort or other or just turning up. It doesn't work that way because the church is not the building. 
Indeed, uh, there was a song put out some years ago, uh, just that, you can't go to church. Uh, now, I'm not going to sing this song to you, but uh, I will uh, read out some of the lyrics for you. You can't go to church, as some people say, the common terminology we use every day. You can go to a building, that is something you can do, but you can't go to church because the church is you. Now, this song identifies really the, the, the true meaning of church. The church is about people who have a common experience through the Holy Ghost, filled with spirit, speaking in tongues, baptised into the body of Christ, the church, by that spirit, that common experience. You might recall that in Matthew 16, Jesus uh, said to his uh, disciples, who do people say that I am? And they listed a few things, Jeremiah, Elijah and so on, John the Baptist, whatever. And he said, well, well who do you say that I am? And Peter said, thou art the Christ, the anointed one, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, yes, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, Peter, but my father which is in heaven, because this is a spiritual revelation. Thou art the Christ. And Jesus said, and upon this this rock, not, not the Catholic Church or not Peter or uh, himself, but upon this rock, that statement which he said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Upon that, upon the anointing of the Holy Spirit, that will be the foundation and I will build my church on that. You might recall in the day of Pentecost, 120 people or thereabouts initially, Acts chapter 2, all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues. That was the beginning of the church. Jesus said in chapter 1 of Acts, you wait in Jerusalem till you've been endued with power from on high. You make sure you receive the promise of the Father, which said he, you have heard of me, because John the Baptist said, uh, he, I'm baptizing you with water under repentance, but he, Jesus Christ, who cometh after me, is mightier than I, whose shoes I'm not worthy to bear, he will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire not many days hence. And that was the promise. And Jesus reiterated that and said, you wait in Jerusalem now till you receive that promise. And they did. And initially 120 and then 3,000 more received the Holy Spirit and they spoke in tongues and they were initiated, baptized into the body of Christ. One of my Bible dictionaries at home says, the church, the real church, is an assembly of people selected and called out of the world by the doctrines of the gospel, sharing a common experience with God. And they worship God, the true God, according to God's word. And we know that true worship, as the Bible says in John chapter 4, will worship the Lord, worship God in spirit and in truth. So the church of the Bible is not about buildings and organisations and, uh, and uh, particular processes. It's a group of people. That's why this song says that. It seems quite odd, the expressions that we make, when the meaning's lost through the phrases that we take. To friends in the church who will never think twice about the words we may use that can sound so nice. A born-again Christian is a term some choose, a redundant phrase in the language we use. So please think about the question, my friend. How can a Christian be less? How can you be a Christian less you're born again? So we, we, we do hear the phrase born again Christian. Well, that's uh, just it's silly. That's what the song is saying. It doesn't make any sense. 
because you can't be a Christian unless you're born again. So there's no other sorts of Christians. And if you're born again, you are a Christian. And if you're a Christian, you have to be born again. You can't go to churches, some people say. Some people say. The common terminology we use every day. You can go to a building that's something you can do. It's something you can do. But you can't go to church because the church is you. Because the church is you. Because the church is you. All right, let's move on to uh, verse, back to verse 7. I've got seven things I want to go through so you can sort of keep track of how we're going here and how long it takes. But that was number one. The first thing is that the church is not anything else other than a group of people with the common salvation experience, like James said, to earnestly contend for the common salvation. And that's only because we recognise that salvation is through the Holy Ghost experience. You must be born again, Jesus said. He didn't say it's a good idea. He didn't say it was an added extra. He didn't say it was something but nice to have. You must be born again. Some people are confused, of course, speaking in tongues. They say, oh, well, that's the gift of tongues and some do, some don't. No, no, we're talking about receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit and there's no alternatives here and the evidence, the initial evidence that goes with that is speaking in tongues. All who receive God's Spirit speak in tongues. That's the way it is. That's the common salvation. That's the church. That's the foundation. That's the principle. That's fundamental. In verse 7 it says of this same chapter, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. Well, the initial experience, of course, is given to every man and woman to profit with all. They receive the Holy Spirit. They speak in tongues. But the real church is made up of people who not only have that initial expectation and they get baptised with a view to receiving the Holy Spirit, it's not only that initially, but the church consists of people, hopefully, hallelujah, who continue to believe in the manifestation of the Spirit. They will speak in tongues, of course, regularly, every day. And they will also believe in all the other things that are available, like we heard on the testimony of healing, of protection, provision, protection, and so on. So point number two is that the people in the real church believe in the continuation of the miraculous. They still believe that things are going to happen by the power of God. We, we believe that people's lives get wonderfully and miraculously changed. Go back to, we're still, uh, to 1 Corinthians still, but chapter 1, the first chapter of the book you're in, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And by the way, for those who have asked, we are, we are going to get the scriptures up on the screen, not the scriptures but fully, but just the, the where to go to because uh, some people forget what the pastor or the person said at the front and uh, we're working on that. We'll get that to you soon. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 5 says this, that in everything, this is Paul, and not only just talking to the people at Corinth who are all spirit-filled, of course, but uh, to all spirit-filled people, including us today that in everything you are enriched by him in all utterance and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come behind in no gift waiting for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's saying here, I want you to have the fullness of what the, the Lord has for you. You receive the Holy Spirit, you've now got access to the fruit of the Spirit, to the gifts of the Spirit, uh, to all the blessings and benefits of the Holy Spirit, of course. And so we have the potential of, of miracles, of healing, of provision, of protection, and all of those wonderful things change lives. 
We are people who believe in answered prayer. You can come to the throne of grace with boldness and assurance and confidence. So we are people, the real people of the real church, believe that God is alive, that God is doing wonderful things. And we have this confidence and expectation that God is going to move in in people's lives and circumstances and change things, intervene, alter and and make good and, and fulfill his promises to us. That's obvious. Let's go to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. Back a little way. And uh, just one verse here, time you get there. I've probably just about read it. Verse 31, it says this. Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea. The churches, the groups of people who were spirit-filled throughout all the region, as there are groups of spirit-filled people all over the world today. And there are many other people who call themselves a church, but you can't do that unless you're legitimate, unless you are really the spirit-filled people of the Lord. And then had the churches rest throughout Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified or built up and strengthened and walking in the fear of the Lord in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. So the real church has this wonderful knowledge and people uh, uh, of the Lord having an assurance, a reassurance, having a sort of a peace in troubled times, having a, a purpose, having security, having an understanding of how things work and having a great respect for God and God's word and God's intervention in their life and seeing that God's in control still, even though many people feel it's a, a, a world, an uneasy world of trouble and strife, a perilous times and so on as the Bible declares and yet we are people who have a, have a rest have a refreshing have a, an appreciation have an uplifting in our souls and a comfort and peace that the world can't give that's, that's the true church a place of, of this assurance a place of, of well-being a place of people who, who know who they are and what they've got and where they're going a people who have a, a genuine uh, a legitimate concern about one another and about the state of, of uh, people's lives and how we can influence them in a proper way and a care and a purpose and a meaning to life it's quite significant because of so many people are so full of uh, their own ideas, troubling, troubled enough to see the world. And unfortunately, uh, we need to make sure that we are uh, above that, that we're, we're concerned. And that goes uh, to the next point, which is Acts chapter 2, which is where the people received the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues. And the church began, the Christian church began in Acts chapter 2. And uh, you might recall, and it's been mentioned already today, but uh, uh, when Peter got up after this, people were saying, what's going on here? What is this stuff that we're hearing from these other languages? How is that possible? And Peter said, this is that which was spoken and prophesied by the prophet Joel. How it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. All flesh. All flesh. Not just some here and some there. God's church has the same due order, pattern, process, foundation for all that would claim to be part of it. And that's why when uh, uh, Peter said these things, people were pricked in their heart and they said, well, what have we got to do? And uh, Peter gave the the same formula that's applicable, well, almost 2,000 years later. He said in verse 38, Repent and be baptised every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. In the Greek it says, with a view to receiving the Holy Ghost. 
get baptised, bury your old life, be dead and buried with a view to receive new life, the Holy Ghost life, to be filled with God's spirit. And you read there uh, in verse 39, for the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off. It didn't change somewhere along the line. It wasn't some uh, uh, council of, of a church here or there that made a decree or changed things. No, no, it hasn't been changed. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, day and forever. And uh, children, and to all that are far, even as many as the Lord our God shall call, and with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received that exhortation, that direction, that, that fundamental principle, well, they were baptised and they were then, of course, through the process of, uh, of receiving God's Spirit added to the church. Then you read in verse 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. They followed. They became followers, uh, influenced by the Lord, of course, and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon a, a sense of awe, it says in the Amplified Bible, came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things in common. Now, they weren't just together because they might have been in the same place because we can't all be together in the same place. You're scattered across the world while I'm talking to you now. But we are together. We have one accord. We have one belief. We're of one mind, one experience. We share common goals. We have a common purpose. We care for one another. We're mindful of one another. In this day and age, we email one another. We send text messages to one another or WhatsApp. Or we might get onto other things that you have social media that uh, many, many of you are involved in. We can use the telephone even and call people up and talk to them and encourage them and uh, actually speak to people rather than just having written words. And uh, we're mindful of people. We know that there are some people having all sorts of difficulties at this time for one reason or other. But we're in the Lord, hallelujah. And we're in the church. We're in the body of Christ. Jesus Christ is our head. We've got so many blessings, so many things going for us. But point four that I've made, it's about true scriptural fellowship is the church. It's not just about a cup of tea. That's nice. A bicky. That's not what it's really all about. It's really all about people having a common experience who are sharing that, who are caring for one another, who are mindful of one another, who have common spiritual goals, they work together, they're involved together, they belong together, they have a unity and a harmony. They're a team, spiritual team, no I in the word team. It's all about being mindful of one another and mindful of what we're required to do in the Lord and how we can be helpful, how we can be prayerful. Remember with the KIT principle, K-I-T, keep in touch. That's what we want to do and make sure that we're, we're together in all of these things. We're, we're making our contribution in whatever way we can. We're encouraging and we're seeing and we're wanting to see not only growth and progress in our own life, we want to see that in other people's lives, in the church generally, of course. We want to make sure that one, on our foundation we are building with gold, silver and precious stones. Let's go to First Timothy chapter 3. So we're a partnership in the Lord now with the same purpose. Our aim is to make sure we're all well established in the things of God and we're careful and mindful of one another. First Timothy chapter 3 and verse 14 is uh, point number 5. It says in verse 14, These things I write unto you, having, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long... 
that thou mayest know how thou ought to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. So he says here, this is another aspect. The true church is about people who are holding up the truth of God's word, who are not only just speaking about it casually here and there or just at a church meeting, but rather that's the way we live. That's our life. That's our lifestyle now. That's the way we conduct ourselves. That is our behaviour. That is our standard. They're our values. They're the things that we appreciate and encourage others also. So there's an integrity involved here. We are the pillar and ground of the truth and we are meant to be living that life accordingly. We're meant to live up to the standards that God expects for us. The Word of God is the gold standard for us, of course, today. And we make sure that we are standing up for God's principles and not embracing things and situations and peoples and talk and lifestyle, which is contrary to God's Word, of course not. We want to make sure that we're living righteously, godly, and as way God would expect us to live. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, or back to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 17, which says this, For this cause I have sent unto you Timothy, who is my beloved son in the Lord, and faithful or trustworthy in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways, which be in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church to those spirit-filled people who will listen, who are teachable, who, who love being corrected, who love being directed, who love being told what God expects of them, what Christ expects of them. Uh, and, and it says here in, in the Amplified Bible, who will recall to mind my methods of preaching and course of conduct and way of life. So I've sent this man Timothy to you He's going to tell you how I live because I want to live and I want you to live the same way in Christ. I want you to know what is expected of you. I want you to know what God's word requires of you and I want you to put it into action. I want you to live accordingly. Hallelujah. Not according to the principles of this world. There are many things that are thrust at us in all sorts of ways, the philosophies and ideas and concepts of man are bombarding us all the time. To resist those, we have to know the Word of God, of course. We have to know what God does expect of us. So we read the Word of God. And to understand and appreciate, we pray in the Spirit. We pray regularly to have the Lord open up our eyes of understanding, to give us light and insight into the things of God so that we can apply them, so that we can correct and direct other people down that path so that we can stand up for truth. We can be a pillar in our community, that we can represent the truth in the environment that we uh, perhaps find ourselves in. Second Corinthians chapter 5. And that leads on to the next point, of course. Verse 18 of Second Corinthians chapter 5, which says, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and have given to us the ministry of reconciliation. 
Now, to many people, that seems like a bit of a task, but it's actually a blessing, of course. We've been made Christ's ambassadors. We're diplomats in a foreign country now. We are, we are representing the Lord, and the Lord has set us up to represent him. Now, you can't represent the Lord unless, of course, you've been uh, elected, called and chosen by him and set into place by him. It all goes back to the same thing, now, a common experience. You've got to be born again. You've got to be set up. In fact, in Romans chapter 8, it says, unless you have the spirit of Christ, you are none of his. The Amplified Bible says you're not truly a child of God. You're not a Christian, even though you call yourself that. There are a lot of people in lots of different buildings who call themselves Napoleon Bonaparte, but they're not. There are lots of people who have all sorts of ideas about who they are and what they believe in and so on. But we've got to have, this is the fundamental. This is the word of God. This is what sets the standard for us. And we are the privileged ones to carry forth that word of God. He's made us the the salt of the earth. He's made us the light of the world. He's given us the lively oracles of God to proclaim, not just in words, but in our life, in our testimony, in our standards, in our day-to-day affairs, how we react, what our attitude is, how we conduct ourselves, how we live our life, how we're mindful and careful and prayerful. All of those things are part of it. Verse 19 at the end says, committing unto us the word of reconciliation. He is committed unto us. We are God's mouthpiece now. The Bible actually uh, says that we are sent of God. God sends. We are people, uh, the Bible says in Romans, that we've got beautiful feet. How beautiful are the feet? Well, why? Because we've got sort of red toenail polish? No, because our feet, as I often say, are all the way attached up to our mouth by one thing or another. And where our feet are, unless you can detach them and put them under the chair, um, where our feet are, that's where our mouth is. And so how beautiful, how opportune, how appropriate are our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel to go and stand before someone and speak the gospel, to speak the truth, to speak righteousness, to speak holiness, to tell someone how to get saved, how to to, uh, find the peace and comfort and joy and blessing that this world cannot really give. If it does, it's transitory. If it does, it's here today and gone tomorrow. Your team wins last week, it doesn't win this week. Someone's nice to you at work, next week they're not nice to you. Uh, Someone uh, rips you off. Things happen in this world. Sometimes we get a a nice little blessing, we enjoy this, we enjoy that, and then we find a, a disappointment. It's always fluctuating. One thing is certain, when you're in the Lord, you know who you are, or you're meant to, and you know who God is, and we know where we're going and what it's all about. And so we're ambassadors, we're meant to witness for Christ. We are part of the body of Christ now. We belong to him. We've been bought with a price. Go, stand, speak, the Bible says. Stand up for me. Represent me. Preach my words. Well, that's a wonderful privilege. So the real church is about those who want to get out there and represent him. The real church waves the flag, holds up the banner for Christ. The real church is out there, evangelically speaking, is out there as a witness. Now, we're limited here, but we're not fully limited. You can still send those little posters, invitations to people. You can still make contact with people. And it'll open up a little bit. We don't know what next Sunday will bring even. Maybe it'll be exactly the same as this Sunday. Maybe the Lord might return before then. But regardless of what we've got to do, we'll just continue to do it. It is what it is, and we'll do what we have to do. It's as simple as that. All the way through, of course. We are privileged to be God's mouthpieces, to be sent by God Almighty to preach the gospel. Hebrews chapter 12. And this actually is 
Point seven, I will summarise these in a moment in case you lost track. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 22, which says this, But you are come under Mount Zion, and under the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to the God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. Now, I don't intend to explain all of that verse, but the Bible says in the margin here and in the Greek that we are, it says, written in heaven, well, enrolled. We are in God's heavenly registrar now. We are written in heaven. When you get filled with the Holy Spirit, that's the way it is. God puts you in the book. But make sure you stay in the book. Make sure you stay registered. In the meantime, of course, we, we recognise that we're, we're pilgrims and strangers down here. Our real citizenship is in heavenly places. You are seated in heavenly places, it says in Ephesians, in Christ Jesus. We have access to the throne of grace. So that's, that's our privileged position now. But unfortunately, of course, we have it down here on this planet. And uh, we've got to recognise it's only temporary. We're moving on. We've got something better than this. We are passing through. We have a blessed hope. Go to chapter 13 of Hebrews, same uh, book, of course, and uh, verse 14. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. Let's never forget that. Whatever we've got, whatever you own, whatever you achieve, whatever you accumulate, you can't take it with you. And when you're dead, someone else is going to get it. It's as simple as that. So that's why the Bible's minding us always to look up, to look beyond, to appreciate more than flesh and blood. For flesh and blood will not inherit the kingdom of God, the Bible says. Because how things that are corruptible could possibly inherit that which is incorruptible? How could things which are mortal inherit that which is immortal? No matter how much you've got of it, no matter how many materialistic things or how many likes you have or how many people are, are your followers on Instagram or whatever, it makes no difference whatsoever. You can't hold that banner before the Lord. You've got to be spirit-filled and walking in the spirit. You've got to be appreciating that the best is still yet to come because we are just passing through. This is not what the Lord had in mind for us. Oh, hallelujah, we can be blessed now. Yes, we can get a lot of the benefits. Forget not all his benefits, the Bible says. There are a lot of good things that happen to God's people and there are other things that happen as well, fiery trials. Uh, lots of trials and tribulations come against all people. We're no different to anybody else. The, the, the flesh and blood of our bodies also plays up, or of our children, or of our mums or dads, or, our, or whatever things. Things break down. All sorts of things happen in this world. But overriding all of that and underpinning all of that is the foundation of Christ, that we are in the Lord. Hallelujah. First Corinthians Back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 again. We were there before, but we'll go back again. But I want to read from verse 1 now. Paul, called to be an apostle. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ to the will of God and Sothenes, our brother, under the church of God, which is at Corinth, or Nepal, or India, or Aubrey Wodonga, or Adelaide, or wherever, wherever you are, you are the church in that sense because you are the spirit-filled person. 
Now, we want spirit-filled people to gather together. Of course, the Lord had all that in mind. He wanted people to gather together. Not anybody, spirit-filled people and preaching the gospel to the unsaved to become spirit-filled, to bring them into the body of Christ. That's what the Lord had in mind. That's why he died. That's what we're going to take notice of, of course, when we partake of the communion elements very soon. The broken biscuit, the shed blood uh, represented by the grape juice. Well, we, we know the Lord died for us, that we might have that new life. That's what it's really all about. The Lord didn't, mind, didn't want us to be setting up our, our tabernacle down here for eternity. No, no, he's got in mind something bigger and better than all of that. And so we read here, under the church of God, so it applies to us today, which is at Corinth, and to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus. How do you get sanctified in Christ Jesus? Well, I, am I repeating myself too much today? You can't get sanctified by talking with a pious voice or wearing some clothing that seems to show how humble you are in some way or other. You've got nothing to do with that whatsoever. We are sanctified, set apart, justified, forgiven, made righteous by the Holy Spirit. It's God's work. It's God's workmanship. It's God's blessing. It's God's gift. It's God's power. It's God's miracle. It's not us. You can't become a good boy. You've got to be made a good boy by the Lord. To Christ Jesus, called to be, the, the word to be there is actually in italics, which means it's not in the original Greek, called saints. You see, it's wonderful. You don't have to wait until you're dead and been buried for 400 years before someone decides to dig up your bones and call you a saint. You become a saint today. When you're the moment you get filled with the Holy Spirit, you're a sanctified one, a saint not because you've got merits of your own value, because of what Christ has done and made us to be in the Lord. Sanctified with all that in every place, including here at the Evergreen today or wherever you are in your lounge room or your study or in your backyard, wherever you happen to be, upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ. Of course, we are saved by grace, not terminology, not by using the word, not by raising in a hand at some crusade or other, not by signing a declaration, not by filling out a form, not by ticking a box. We've got none of those things. We are saved by grace. When grace becomes effective in our life and the moment you receive the Holy Spirit, grace is becoming effective in your life and God's mercy is being bestowed upon you. Hallelujah. That in everything you are enriched by him. You see, it's got, we've got to go on, haven't we? Being born again, I mean, you can have a little baby or a little puppy or whatever, you know, that's just the beginning of things. That's just the start. After that, you know, when you have, we, we've, Beth and I, we've had four children. Well, Beth has the children, I just, anyway. Um, and so we've got four children and, of course, those children have children and those children's children have children. Before you know where you are, you're looking after hundreds of them. Well, I'm exaggerating to make a point. Well, there are things to do. It doesn't just stop at the birth, does it? In fact, that's just the beginning. Then we move on to all the processes. Then everything you are enriched in by him in all utterance and in all knowledge, growth in the Lord, hallelujah, 
Even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. The testimony of Christ has been confirmed in us. Jesus Christ said, believers would speak in new tongues. I I might be emphasising that a bit today because I want to get it right. I want to make sure people understand and appreciate how this works. Because there's so many confusing ideas about church, about Christ, about God, about the word of God, about how it all works and so on. So much confusion, so much deception, so many ideas and opinions. We've got to get back to the fundamentals here. And the fundamental is very clear. That testimony was confirmed in me on March the 2nd, 1969, at around about, I don't know, maybe quarter to five, something like that on a Sunday afternoon at the Rialto Theatre, High Street Q, here in Melbourne. It's a car park now, but back then it was a theatre and I got baptised then, buried my life and I spoke in tongues loudly, clearly, vibrantly, knowingly, happily, rejoicefully and that was March the 2nd, 1969. Jesus Christ's testimony was confirmed in my life. Even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come behind in no gift, no blessing and benefit from the Lord, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I've taken a long time to get to that, but that's the seventh aspect. Waiting, we are people who are waiting. The church is filled of people who are waiting expectantly for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not just filling up their life with all the material stuff in the, that we can think of. Not just giving, a, as we heard in the previous talk, a, a casual thought to the Lord a here and there when it suits us. But this is our life now. And our life expectancy is to meet the Lord in the air. That's what it's all about. Now, there are many, many scriptures, and I want to go into those today. But you know there are many scriptures about our ultimate blessed hope, which is the return of our Saviour, Jesus Christ, to claim us. So in summary, let me just summarise again, make sure I repeat myself, because we have got a wonderful, glorious future here. We are people who, and I've just put down seven things, but you can... You can amplify that any way you like. We are people who have all had the same common salvation miracle, all of us. We're initiated and united by the same experience. No and buts about that. That's the way it is. Number two is we expect to see the continuing power of God in our life. This is not just a church process. We are people who are expectant about things to happen. We are looking forward to uh, the answered prayer that we put forward to. And we need to build ourselves up in that faith and belief, of course, in God's power being in operation. Number three, we are a group of people that despite the world circumstances have an inward peace, a stillness, an assurance, an understanding, a security that the world cannot give. Number four is that we are people who want to work together in the unity of the Holy Ghost. We want to strive for the blessing that the Lord requires of us and, and the harmony and the oneness and the one accord that goes with that. We're a together people, praying together, ultimately meeting together in person, and we urge people to do that and look forward to that, of course. Don't neglect your Zoom in the meantime, but don't get too casual about it either. Make sure that we're, we're anticipating getting together and all making our contribution and all working together in harmony. We're also a people that very much want to uphold principles, God's principles, 
God's standards, God's values, God's expectations. We live in a world where anything goes. We've often mentioned from this platform, you know, when I was a young person, there was such a thing as living in sin. (laughs) What does that mean today? Living in sin. So we wouldn't even know what the word sin means today, yet alone living in it. What does that mean? Well, back then it meant if two people who were not married got together and were living in the same household, they were living in sin. Well, that's not only happening today, it's expected today. In fact, it's encouraged today. Now, that's only just one aspect, of course. There are dozens of different, uh, the, the immorality of this world is, is rife in many, many ways. And the standards have been lowered in, in pretty well every direction we look at. But we are going to uphold God's standards. That's what the church does, individually and collectively. We're going to represent God to an ungodly world. We're going to be the light in a dark place. That's what the church is meant to be, to go forth upholding his principles and living them, preaching them, talking to them, encouraging, getting people involved, excited, joyful, happy, glad in the Lord. And, of course, we are people who are most assured of our glorious future. The world's in doubt. Oh, is this going to go on till the end of the year? What about next year? Well, you know what? I mean, I, it's not a pleasant thing, this pandemic. But uh, how about thinking about what if we have to live through a nuclear war? How would that go? There are a lot of other things that can happen on this planet yet. I don't know whether they will or won't, but I think we need to be very secure in our knowledge that we've got a glorious future regardless of, of the bits and pieces we've got to contend with. And I often say we're not minimising that. It's bigger than that. So when someone says, what's the point of church? Our answer is very clear. Without church, there is no point. All the people said that. 